Hi! Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we chat all things CFL with John Hodge of Three Down Nation. The BC line's off to a great start. The Bombers and Stamps are 3-0, but they've got work to do. That and lots more. As well, we talked to Murata Tesh, our friend from The Athletic, as the Jets are still waiting to hire a head coach. What's the latest on that? How are fans just feeling about this offseason? We'll talk about that as well on the podcast. Week four of the CFL season begins tomorrow night in Ottawa with the Ottawa Red Blacks hosting the BC Lions, who have been the story of the season so far. Led by Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke, the Lions are 2-0, and putting up huge numbers. And here to talk about it, and all things CFL, is John Hodge of Three Down Nation. Uh, John, it feels so unusual to have a Canadian quarterback performing so well. Should we wait a bit longer to get too excited? Maybe wait till the Lions play someone good? Or should we just hop on board and enjoy the ride? You know, it, it has only been two games. They haven't gone out on the road. They haven't played, you know, a top team like Winnipeg, like Saskatchewan. But I, I don't think we need to wait any longer, to be fully honest. Um, I, I'm not saying we got a crown and put them in the Great Cup, but I absolutely think that this team is for real. This team is going to make a push um, for a home playoff game and and maybe more. Uh, I think Nathan Rourke has been the best player in the CFL through three weeks. Um, he is the entire complete package. He makes good decisions with the football. He gets rid of the ball quickly. He can make plays with his legs. He is deadly accurate. He is putting the ball in the exact spot it needs to be every single time. Not only does he have zero interceptions this season, but I don't think he has a dropped interception. I don't think he's even put the ball in harm's way. So I am a big believer in the BC Lions, and I think they deserve all the credit going their way right now. So going into Ottawa then tomorrow night against a team that, you know, put up a ton of yards against the Bombers, but not a lot of points. Do you think the Red Blacks can challenge BC and knock them off the mantle a little bit? I really do. And and part of the reason is, is simply scheduling. BC hosted Toronto late last Saturday night, and now just five days later, they're going to be hosting the Ottawa, or pardon me, visiting the Ottawa Red Blacks. And when you're playing two games that that close together and there's travel involved, it really hampers your ability to prepare. Not only are players recovering physically from the previous game still with the wear and tear on their bodies, but they're really not able to practice effectively. The amount of time they're able to game plan and, and, and run things on the field is diminished. And so I think that that is a major advantage for Ottawa, you know, to illustrate that point, we just saw last week a very tired Saskatchewan Earth Fighters team go out on the road on the same type of short week and get blasted by Montreal, despite the fact that Saskatchewan was undefeated and Montreal was winless at the time. So those types of scheduling issues are tough to overcome, but I still believe that the Ottawa Red Blacks are, are much better than their 0-2 record would indicate. You know, this club played Winnipeg twice, back-to-back, played them close both times. I thought Ottawa was actually the better team week one. I think they should have won that game. In Winnipeg, had they not made a couple of key mistakes. Um, and week two, I mean, Winnipeg, I think, was the better team. But again, it, it was a close game. And so um, as good as BC is, I, I think Ottawa is also a good team. And and I do think that we could see Ottawa upset them tomorrow. I really do. Let's talk about the Bombers locally here. 3-0, and not a pretty 3-0 and by any means. The offense has had a, you know, a couple of good drives a game. The defense has been as stingy, really, in terms of points, at least, as we saw them last year. They go to Toronto on Monday. 
on Independence Day. Do you know why they're playing on a Monday here this weekend? <laughs> I don't. I wish I did. My guess is it's a scheduling issue with BMO Field because I know historically in Toronto, the Argos have not had first or second, or in many cases, even third or fourth choice for the days that they play at home. I, I think that's the only explanation because it's not like the, the fourth is a stat holiday here no. like it is down south. So my guess is it's a, a funky scheduling issue that uh, unfortunately tend to afflict the Toronto Argonauts uh, each year. Do you think this helps the Bombers coming off of they, – they've had, almost got like a mini bye week here where they play on Friday last week and they don't practice again until tomorrow going into this game against Toronto. Do you think that little bit of a, a rest helps Winnipeg here? I do. I mean, I think it's going to work adversely on the flip side because Winnipeg is going to have to go all the way to Vancouver in week five to play BC on a short week. But in the short term, I I do think that it helps them because, you know, typically in a bye week, everybody gets on, you know, airplanes and flies home and goes and spends time with their family. And of course, spending time with family is super important. You know, having time away to recharge your batteries and and get ready for the rest of the season is super important. But Winnipeg still has their three bye weeks intact, despite the fact that this is a, as you said, kind of a mini bye week. And so I think with players having extra time in the city and everybody staying in town, it really gives an opportunity for these players to get to know each other better. It is a veteran squad, yes, but you know there are still young players around and having the opportunity for them to actually get out into the city, spend time with their teammates, have an opportunity to you know, uh, uh, you know, do things around town, whether that's, you know, doing things for fun in the city or getting out of the city and, and doing some fishing, doing some camping, doing all those outdoor things that so many people like to do in the summertime, I think is absolutely positive because it's going to help you build that team culture and, and really bring along those relationships with your newer, younger players. Calgary is off this week, Winnipeg three, and although the two teams at three and zero right now, which team has impressed you more on route to a three and zero start? Well, I, I think you can you can nitpick both three and O teams. To be quite honest, I, I don't think either team has uh, has dominated any of its games. Um, you know, Winnipeg. You, you highlighted offensively; they're getting a couple of of nice drives a game, and and that's it, right? They they have not been one of the more consistent offenses in the CFL statistically. Their yards per carry on the ground is eighth in a nine team league. That's not very good. Zach Kolaris' numbers are not MOP caliber either. He has not been poor, don't get me wrong, but he has not been as effective as he was in 2021, whether that's because of the changes to the receiving core in the offensive line or, or otherwise, I, I couldn't say. Um, Calgary, meanwhile, I mean, they I think they've partly taken advantage of, of weaker opponents. They, they hosted Edmonton. This past week, I don't think they looked great. They looked good enough to win, of course. But, I mean, Edmonton has not provided a lot of, of challenge for many teams so far this season. And uh, they squeaked by Montreal week one at home and had to battle back and win an overtime in Hamilton. And the second half of that game was very impressive in week two, the way they were able to come back. But they were atrocious in the first half, like absolutely awful in that first half. So if I had to pick one of them, I, I suppose I would say Winnipeg's been a little bit more impressive, but to be honest, I I'm less impressed with the three and O teams right now than I am with the two and O team in the BC Lions. on the flip side, Edmonton and Hamilton two O and three teams meet on Canada day in the hammer. Which team are you more worried about? 
I'm a lot more worried for the Edmonton Elks, and there's a couple reasons why. One of them is simply logistical. The West Division, which it historically has been for the last 15 or 20 years, is off to an excellent start. You've got three undefeated teams at the top. If the season ended today, Saskatchewan would be uh, actually the crossover team to the East Division at two and one. So you have four teams that, that Edmonton already is behind by a substantial margin in terms of points. In the East Division, Hamilton is only two points out of first place, which is wild to say. But, I mean, the Argos are there at the first spot at one and one. And their point differential is atrocious. They got absolutely blasted by BC in week two. Hamilton's games, yes, they've lost three in a row. But by and large, they've been close. The 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 game that they played in Saskatchewan week one was very close to the end. The same thing was true this past week in Winnipeg. It was close until the fourth quarter. And they should have won at home in week two against Calgary. So if I'm if I'm the Elks, I'm very concerned just for that reason, just the standings reason. But then on the field, I think if you look at the team's defenses along the line of scrimmage, I think I think Hamilton's been better. They just re-upped their offensive line. They they traded for Colin Kelly. They're getting Coulter Woodmancy back from the six-game injured list, a former first-round pick at guard. I think they're the better team along the line of scrimmage, and I think they're the better team under center. So I, I still think, despite the slow start, Hamilton is going to be hosting a playoff game this year. And I think Edmonton, given the standings and the way in which they're set up right now, I think they really have to pull this thing together quickly. Or, or frankly, they're going to be out of the running, not even by Labor Day. They're going to be out of the running by by mid-August. It's It's really that bad, given the way the standings are set up. But to be fair, I don't think many people were expecting much out of Edmonton this season, especially in the stacked West. And and a lot was thought of the Tiger Cats. Obviously, no Jeremiah Mazzola anymore. But in an East division that isn't too strong, they made the Grey Cup the last two seasons. People expected more out of Hamilton to start the season. Absolutely, yes. Edmonton is certainly in a rebuilding year. They, they've got unproven quarterbacks under center. They've even had Trey Ford playing a first-round pick in this year's CFL draft, the first quarterback selected in the first round of the CFL draft since 1980, fresh out of Waterloo. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, Chris Jones, the way he's moving players in and out of that roster is wild. I looked through their depth charts uh, a couple of days ago, and I was able to determine that if you – only look at their defense, you know, the 12 starters. If you count the players who are in training camp for, for the entire thing and started week one, two, three, you get two players. Wow. You get Mac Henry at defensive tackle and you get Ed Ganey at halfback. Every other position is either currently filled by a player who was brought in after training camp or a player who has missed at least one game or been moved to a new position between games. Uh, they've started three different players at safety. They've started three different players at, at weak side linebacker. Like, like the way in which they are moving guys around is crazy. It's almost like, it's almost like a preseason game or, or a preseason. It really is. Um, so absolutely. They are rebuilding Hamilton expectations should be high because as you pointed out, they've been knocking on the door for a couple of years. They were the best team in the league in 2019 and then completely folded in the Grey Cup. 2021, they were not the better team. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers were the better team, but they should have been able to close that game out, right? They had a large lead going into that fourth quarter. I believe it was a, a I think it was a 12-point a um, lead that they coughed up late. And so, 
you know, obviously fans in Winnipeg are very proud of their back-to-back Grey Cup champions, which is absolutely fair, deservedly so. But, you know, a couple things go differently. Hamilton could be back-to-back Grey Cup champions. They really could. They're a great team. And and certainly they've been disappointing to start the year at the bottom of the East Division at 0-3. Okay, so the one game we have not mentioned is Saskatchewan and Montreal, the rematch after last week's blowout. And and it sounds like you do believe the Riders will bounce back simply because they've got some rest now? Well, they, they've got some rest. Cody Fajardo, I think, was limited last week. He was wearing a knee brace. He talked to the media saying, you know, uh, well, I, I don't want to put words into his mouth, but my understanding, if my, my recollection from a week ago is accurate, he suggested that had it not been for the brace, he he wouldn't be playing. And 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 to be honest, looking at how he played, I'm not sure he should have played. He did not look as mobile as he normally was, and their offense was extremely limited. Uh, they played very poorly. Um, very disappointing showing for them. Uh, but yes, they are rested this week. They're back at home. They always play well at Mosaic Stadium in Regina. And um, I think it's always in this in the Canadian Football League or, or professional football at any level. It's tough to win the second half of a back to back. It really is. You've been studying the film for so long. Um, you, you get to know your opponents so well. It's always tougher to win the second half. So if you can get to the second half, um, if you're playing at home, you're rested. Cody Fajardo is back to full health. I think that gives them the big advantage. The only thing that I would be concerned about for Saskatchewan right now is some injuries. AC Leonard did not practice today in Saskatchewan, their best pass rusher due to a foot injury. And offensively, Shaq Evans, arguably their best receiver, went down last week with a fractured ankle. He's going to be out for the foreseeable future, likely six to eight weeks. And so um, you need a receiver to step up, somebody in that receiving room. You need a pass rusher to step up. Maybe it's Charleston Hughes. He's been a rotational guy there, but he's been an all-star this league many times. Maybe he can step up and and turn back the clock a little bit, but I am optimistic for Saskatchewan despite those injuries. John, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this, and I uh, look forward to this uh, weekend of football. Thanks for having me, Christian. Anytime. The offseason is here, and the Winnipeg Jets are the center of attention in this market for sure, and one of the few spots that have yet to fix their problem of not having a coach. As we talk about that and a lot more with Murat Atesh, our friend from The Athletic. Murat, how's your offseason going? Hey, uh, so far, so good, Christian. I mean, it's it's been a nice time. But, uh, yeah, as you well know, as, uh, as all Jets fans would well know, there's quite a lot going on, including the ongoing head coaching search. Yeah, your time covering the Winnipeg Jets. This is definitely an offseason unlike any other you've covered, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. There's no kicking back. There's no, hey, we know during this week we can put our feet up and relax sort of situation because Winnipeg's been looking for a head coach for the last extensive period of time. Uh, Barry Trotz came in as a front runner, of course, last week. Unfortunately, he said, no, he's he's going to take time to take care of himself and his family, not going to coach this year. Um, and uh, we have rumors of player movement, all that sort of stuff. Whereas during your traditional junior, you can just put your feet up, watch playoff hockey, and enjoy yourself. And we've been waiting a while for coaching news, right? They were Their season ended May 2nd. We found out not long after that Dave Lowry was going to be allowed to be in the coaching search, but, you know, that means he's not going to be the coach next year. Are you surprised that it's June 29th and they still don't have a coach? 
Well, if we were talking, you know, right at the onset of all of this, yeah, I would have been surprised because a real date in mind that I believe Winnipeg would like to have its next head coach hired by is next week's draft. And in a perfect world, Winnipeg would have spent this week making uh, announcements, press conference, really celebrating their new hire. Uh, So, as a, as a timeline, this is getting close to, you know, their unofficial deadline of, of having somebody ready in place for the draft, you know, to have them on stage, to have them do the team building that comes with being around the organization um, and even giving their input, perhaps, and having conversations with management about how they imagine the team playing because player movement happens. I mean, there are trades in and around the draft as well. Uh, so we're getting a little bit late. At the same time, Barry Trotz was an unusual circumstance. Because when the Winnipeg Jets coaching search began, Barry Trotz wasn't on the market. He was still New York Islanders head coach. Um, He became on the market, was far and away the top free agent coach uh, available. Um, Homegrown, Manitoban, has all the bona fides, has a Stanley Cup, uh, teaches his teams to play the way Winnipeg most likely needs to play and improve on all that defensive structure. So all of a sudden the best laid plans got thrown out the window because Barry Trotz became the front runner for an extended period of time. And until last Friday, when he informed the jets that uh, he's going to take time away from coaching this year, he was their number one guy and they were all in now this week, they're left a little bit scrambling, I think, and are working on their short list. How much input does the coach have when it comes to drafting players or is it vary by team? I think very, not so much when it comes to drafting. I think that they would step back. Uh, you know, certainly their their opinions and feelings would be known with management in a very general sense of the types of players they like. But for me, where they might have more of a say in and around draft time is on other player movement. If the Winnipeg Jets are listening to calls about players like Blake Wheeler, Pierre-Luc Dubois, those two are the biggest names who there could theoretically be movement on, though not saying that's a guarantee. You know, they would most likely want to know how their head coach envisions them playing next year. Or, for example, the logjam on defense where, you know, Nate Schmidt and Brendan Dillon were acquired last season. There's plenty of veterans, but at the same time, you have youth like Dylan Sandberg, who played so well down the stretch. Logan Stanley's on his way up. Billy Hainala, I mean, I don't know how long you can keep him at the AHL level. And they play such different styles of hockey. I think you would really like to know uh, who your coaching staff is, what type of defense they envision playing, whether they focus on that quick mobile transition like Ville Hainala or they like the, you know, the size and strength down the middle of a Logan Stanley. You, know, you would like to know those sorts of things before making trades that could impact the future heading into next season. Today, we learned that the Jets will be taking St. Louis's second rounder this year instead of waiting for next year to, to get the Rangers' second round pick, part of the Andrew Kopp trade. Do you think part of that is just getting the trade done and over with or and you know take take the pick that's right here in front of you you like what you could get at 55 i think so i think so you know having had the option of st louis's second round pick this year which we would know is uh you know 55th overall or new york's second round pick next year which we don't know where they're going to fall Winnipeg could go through the guessing how New York will perform, where that pick will land. Uh, they could go as far as comparing draft classes and say, oh, maybe one of these is better than the other. And I've heard that probably next year's is the deeper of the two. 
At the same time, it's been so long since Winnipeg had the full complement of picks at the draft. They've traded first-round picks away, whether that was for Paul Stastny the first time around, whether it was for Kevin Hayes, although they got one back, of course. Uh, they got their same pick back uh, for, the, for Jacob Truba. They've traded so many picks away. They traditionally pick far fewer than the seven maximum picks in each draft. This time around, I think having had the opportunity to get a second-round pick this year and get a prospect into a system that's kind of emptied, progressively emptied over the last few years. It used to be Winnipeg would have one of the very best prospect pools in the league. Some of the best young players would be in the Jets system, and they still have Cole Perfetti, Villa Hanela, Dylan Sandberg, but it falls off a little bit after that in a way that it didn't ever used to. And I think Winnipeg really just wants to get players back into its system, let their draft or let their scouts, pardon me, get back to that table and become a big influence on their future success. You posted your latest uh, Jets mailbag column for your uh, spot on the athletic yesterday. Are you getting a sense from fans that they're okay with maybe blowing things up a little bit? I think there is a growing contingent of fans who just getting tired of the knocks and the bruises and the and the the bad news uh, in, in terms of reports that have been coming in this off season. Uh, Barry Trotz was a really highly sought after head coach to have him say no, and certainly Winnipeg was his last no. That's that's really warm, but he's still not going to be Winnipeg's head coach. I think that was disappointing to a lot of folks. Um, it's been reported that Pierre Luc Dubois has informed the Jets that he intends to test free agency in 2024. And that's something I've believed before. I, you know, I've written before, I believe he's headed towards a one-year deal this summer, and then perhaps they would trade him next. You know, but the possibility that they're shopping him, who they just acquired, and Dubois just had such a phenomenal season, his first full season with the Jets. Um, you know, I think fans were getting excited about what that might mean for Winnipeg's center depth. And the idea that he's not necessarily a long-term Jet, I think, has gotten some folks down. This idea that Blake Wheeler might be open to trades in a way he never has been before. Um, I think that's an issue. <laughs> um, all of these sorts of things. And then you look at Mark Shifley as well, two years away from unrestricted free agency. And certainly it sounded like he wasn't 100% content at the end of the season. And um, there's so many different ways to point at important pieces on the Winnipeg Jets and, and see a question mark. And it doesn't mean everything's going to go wrong. It doesn't mean all these players are on the way out, or even if they are, it doesn't mean Kevin Shevelzeev won't be able to get good pieces back in exchange for them. But it's certainly a team under a, a really tumultuous offseason right now. And it, there's a growing number of fans who think, well, hey, if this thing has to get picked apart over the next couple of seasons heading into 2024, when Shifley, Wheeler, Hallibuck, DeMello are all unrestricted free agents, and now Pierre-Luc Dubois wants to test free agency too, Maybe there is a, a group of fans who would like to just blow it all of the way up, completely retool and focus on the Kyle Connor and Nikolai Euler's window. And Cole Perfetti and, and Josh Morrissey and, and other young players that are with this group. After watching the Stanley Cup final two and seeing how Colorado played, you know, the Jets are in their division. We saw them play a number of times this year and, and we're well aware the Jets could not keep up with Colorado. Maybe you'll look at, or do you look at that and say, you know what, they're just too good. We're not good enough. Now's the time to retool. Well, I wonder. Yeah, there'd be a little bit of that going on as well. I mean, to become the best, which I believe is True North's goal, you have to beat the best. So it's okay if there are other great teams. You just have to figure out a way to stop them. But Winnipeg's so far from that right now. I would understand that sort of line of thinking. And for me, I, I look at Colorado's success, and 
there's so many different reasons that they're successful. But on the ice, that speed and the way that they attack in waves, Kale McCarr, obviously, I mean, he's revolutionizing the way that people play defense right now with the way that he's able to jump into plays um, and essentially be a four forward, but still cover back and, and the way that Colorado adapts to, to having that weapon. Well, if you're Winnipeg and you're starting, I don't want to say from scratch, but if you're trying to compete with that, you can either try to play that similar modern way of playing because you need to get a whole lot faster. I think Winnipeg was a slow moving team last year and disorganized at times. It's either about changing how you want to play by, you know, engaging with some more mobile defense and focusing on a quicker transition game, or it's simply just, you know, in addition to that, it's adding so much structure and planning and preparation that whereas Winnipeg was scrambling so much under Dave Lowry's coaching and didn't have as many routes and didn't have as many set plays and didn't have as many breakouts and transition plays through the neutral zone. Well, I think that the more of those that they have down and have organized and have well taught, they can look like a faster team just by being better prepared heading into next season too. And that was one of the things that I was really looking forward to under a Barry Trotz type team. I, I wonder now um, about who they hire next and how they're able to implement their systems into Winnipeg's future. We don't root for the team, but we're interested in seeing what they do here. As far as the coaching search is concerned, we don't know. It's been very tight left in terms of uh, outside of Barry Trotz, what's going to happen here. But who do you think would the Jets be best served by hiring? Well, at this stage, we know that they're, you know, for example, Darren Dreger has reported that they're on the second rounds of interviews and that there's a short list being formed. And I'm hearing that Rick Tockett, a former Arizona Coyotes coach, is on that short list. Uh, I'm not sure he's absolutely the front runner, but he's on that short list and is a candidate. Uh, he had success in Arizona when goaltending, especially in the form of Darcy Camper, was uh, absolutely incredible for that team for a little while. But other than that, hasn't really had a lot to work with down there. So it's it's hard to evaluate exactly how you would transition to a Winnipeg Jets type team. Uh, I continue to believe Scott Arneal is going to be part of Winnipeg's coaching staff in some capacity, um, probably as an associate coach. And that's not a guarantee, but it's what I currently, currently think. Um, I believe Jim Montgomery is being considered uh, that's the former Dallas Stars coach who was dismissed for personal reasons after a year and a half and uh, has since coached as an assistant with the St. Louis organization, having um, a bit more resources and social supports in the St. Louis area where I believe he has family and all of that sort of stuff. Montgomery was once thought of as an up-and-coming star. He had NCAA championships. He had U.S. Hot, um, junior level championships. He had Coach of the Year awards. He played a modern style. When he was with Dallas, his players like Andrew Cogliano, who just won the Stanley Cup with Colorado, um, were talking about the way that he played or wanted them to play as hockey of the future, the most modern version there was. There were so many reasons to think this guy was on the way up. Um, and then he was fired for personal reasons, I guess, related to, to alcohol at the time, though I'm not too clear on what the exact details were. Um, and so there's a little bit of, okay, this guy's a, a brilliant coach, but is there any concern about, uh, about that? Uh, these are the sorts of names that I'm hearing on the short list. And, um, and there is no perfect answer the way that there really seemed to be with Trotz once upon a time. So looking ahead to the draft, which starts a week from tomorrow, do we, ex we, so we expect them to have a new coach by then. Do we expect any deals to come around the draft for the Jets, or is that going to wait a bit? I think it's possible. I, I really do. I think 
with so many players' names being made into discussions, even if it's extremely preliminary. You know, we've heard draft rumors before. In, I think it was 2019, Nikolai Ehlers' name was front and center in terms of draft era trade rumors. And, you know, I understand that his name was in conversations, but one executive from another team told me that every time he tried to ask about Nikolai Ehlers, Winnipeg would pivot and start trying to sell you on Jack Roslovic. I think he was, uh, you know, he said that with a chuckle. And I think that's the idea is that all of these GMs are in the same place. They're having the conversations. They're exploring moves that, that they could consummate over the course of the summer. Certainly in front of the draft with picks in play and all of that, there are trades that happen. Um, I don't know, and I really don't know if Winnipeg has anything so front burner that they're going to close it down by draft day. But if they do, I wonder if it could be as something as big as a Blake Wheeler type transaction or perhaps clearing out some veteran defensemen if they believe their youth are the way of the future. But I really believe that that head coach has to be in place before they really commit to those things. Looking forward to seeing what happens over the next weeks and months for the Winnipeg Jets. Should be an interesting offseason. Marat, thanks for this as always. Thank you, Christian. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the day. You may not share our intellect. Explain your